So um, uh, there's lots of other things happened, but the short end of that story is I no longer felt at home at, at that mm. church. And so I left and I have only been back for funerals of people who I mm. love dearly. Um, and it's, it's still a wound I carry. Hmm. Yeah, it's such a common story too, mm. unfortunately. I wish it weren't so. We're talking religion and politics on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, is God really a conservative Republican? And does God require his followers to be? Podcasting worldwide on the NPE network at npepodcast.com. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the Nonpartisan Evangelical himself, your host, Paul Swearingen. All right, Nonpartisan Evangelical, I'm Paul Swearingen. I am the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Welcome to the podcast. Glad you're with us today. And glad our guest is with us today. We have Nikiko Masamoto. I pronounced that right, right? Yep. Good, good. And she is an organic farmer, an artist, and a cultural organizer. What is a cultural organizer? I think about cultural organizing as being as work that's embedded in community. So much of my work serves the Japanese American community, which I'm a part of. And um, I'm really concerned with how we tell our stories across generations. All right. And so one of my projects that I work on with a dear friend and colleague, Yonsei Memory Project, is dedicated to creating spaces for cultural transmission across experiences and generations. Wow, that's very cool. And your dad is is Mas Masamoto, yes, who is a, a writer that many people will know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you guys are on your family farm farming together. Yep, every day my office is in his house with my mom <laughs> and my brother. How do you get your hands dirty in the? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I do everything. We're a small farm, so everything from tractor driving to, you know, um, picking peaches and driving the truck with no AC. (laughs) Oh, is that right? (laughs) Well, that's a little tough. In the summer, yes, Yes, it it is. is. My goodness. And so you left uh, Central California, you left the family farm and came back. So tell me about that. I did, yeah. So I grew up on our farm, went to Zanger High School, and then I um, left, as, as many rural ki- kids do, thinking that success is somewhere else. Yeah. And that's one of the, the myths I know you and so many other folks here are trying to change, that yeah. success is here in the Valley, too. Um, but I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to leave because it clarified for me what was so special about the Valley and about home and specifically about our farm. Um, so I went to UC Berkeley and had this electric experience. <laughs> um, and But it was also there at, in amidst so many big ideas I'd never heard about um, that I also found my way back home. And I wow. decided to come back and farm. And how long have you been back now? Um, I'm entering my ninth year full-time farming with my okay. dad. All right. And for anybody who's listening who's not from Central California, Sanger is a town a little bit south of Fresno and and uh, really great place that people from love to be. 
mm-hmm. a part of. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love going to high school football games down there. And Football's big in Sanger. It's very sure. big in Sanger. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we have you on the show today to, to talk about a topic that's uh, that's one that we've, we've dealt with quite a bit on the nonpartisan evangelical and I think is an important one because gay marriage has been such a big issue in the church. Mm-hmm. And so you are, what, what, how would you identify yourself as far as sort of gender and sex, sexuality? Yeah, so I identify as a cisgendered queer woman. Okay. So that means a lot of different things. Um, but before we get into that, which I'm, I'm happy to share about, okay. I did want to also just like pause and and have both of us talk a little bit about our entry into this conversation. Okay, great. And 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 I'm very delighted to be here. And yeah, so, Paul, I wanted to ask you like why you wanted to invite me. Well, we had uh, your your folks were very kind and invited my wife and I to dinner the other night, and and it's actually started much before that because. I I grew up uh, in an evangelical Christian home. My dad, a pastor of an evangelical church, and and really the nonpartisan evangelical now is all about sort of searching out uh, differing views of what Christianity looks like, what the politics of Christianity looks like. I mean, that's the real impetus for me is is uh, how is this sort of political right wing leaning church impacted sort of my view of what the gospel is and what the Bible's all about. And so in that, I began to ask a lot of questions about the belief systems that I grew up with and all of that. And then, so as as we had dinner with your folks and met you, and you are, as people probably have already figured out, a pretty effervescent personality, <laughs> and you just express who you are and your life with, I think, such a uh, an ease and peace and joy uh, I thought this would be a great conversation to have on the nonpartisan evangelical. So, because you do have, from my understanding, uh, a religious background and that perspective, and and a story to tell of sort of how, then as you started to realize who you were as a person, how that then impacted your life. And I think those are really important conversations for us to have. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so, what sure. what made you decide to come here? Yeah. Well, I I. A lot of different things. One, you are a very warm person. Mm, thank you. And I so enjoyed our first in-person conversation just a couple of weeks ago. And I, so that's that's you and your, the gift of the space that you give. Oh, thank you. And then I also, um, you know, for years, I, I think I've been carrying around a wound from my experience with the Christian church I grew up in. And so hearing your your genuine care and and wanting to know my story really was really um um touched a tender place in my heart mm. and so that's why i said yes um to coming here and i will also say i'm a little nervous oh you are yeah, okay of course oh. um and this is why i wanted to start in this place because it's one of those things um i of course do not speak for all people in the LGBTQ community at all would never to claim to do that. But I do think that many of us, when we're entering conversations with folks who have different identities and experiences than us, it's important to kind of take a pause and realize for some folks, it feels like a risk, even just sitting down for a conversation because so many of us do carry wounds and or very real um, training 
about being worried about our safety, whether it's physical or emotional wow. safety. So that's why I wanted to pause and kind of just take a minute to sit in our intentions yeah. of why we're here and acknowledge, and acknowledge that both the, the, the joy and um, curiosity that I think we both embody here and also the, the risk that it requires, especially of, of myself as a queer folk to be, to be here and be open. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I, sometimes I say it's a risk from sort of a Christian leader perspective, but I don't mm -hmm. think, I don't think any risk that I take is anything near the pain that I've heard mm -hmm. of what, what you would call queer folk have, mm -hmm. have gone through. Mm -hmm. And a part of my, my message really is for Christian people to, to say, I, I understand your belief system and I'm, I'm actually not even asking you to to come out of it necessarily, because I think that's a big flip to ask people to make, but would you consider that that you're causing people pain mm -hmm. and and just hear the pain and start to think, okay, so what would, what would Jesus' perspective on that pain be if you're a believer in Jesus? What would God's perspective on that pain be? And just as human to human, what's our perspective on that pain? Mm -hmm. And how do we maybe live with differing belief systems in the midst of everything without causing each other pain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's, I think it's a really important conversation. Absolutely. And I think it requires both of the, the person who's sharing wounds and mm -hmm. also the person listening um, a great deal of generosity, a great deal of effort. I think deep listening requires labor, yeah. very intense labor. Mm. Um, and I think it also requires a sense of understanding, of seeking understanding, not to say that understanding is sameness, but to understand um, can be exactly to understand differences. Huh. So, I, so even as I'm watching you talk and listen to you here, I, so there's uh, obviously there's there's a spirit about you that's that's uh, attractive, you know. And so, where did you sort of learn? even to to make that stop and and sort of be here present in this moment and you know where does that come from in your background Ooh, i think ah that's a great question <laughs> um kind of about method and ways yeah. of being and practice um the the most recent like the very clear through line has been so much of my work with elders in our community and so much of the work I've been in, both in my undergraduate and graduate experience and a lot in the artwork that I've done, I've sought and also created spaces that were intentionally difficult. Wow. And I have always wanted to wrestle with the very histories that have caused so much pain and suffering in the world and also our role as inheritors of that history mm -hmm. whether we want that history or not that history of suffering is embedded in how we came to be whether it's at a, as a nation as a state as a valley as a, a community um and I, I so i have had lots of practice and i find it's it's never it's never insignificant to pause right at the top and just mm -hmm. kind of sit a little bit. And it's so important to acknowledge that no matter the genuine intentions of whoever's in the space or in the room, there are indeed wounds. There are indeed um, structures of power that flow between people. And it's our job to try to interrupt 
I think, the, mm-hmm. the structures that cause harm and damage, and then also open up spaces where maybe if we find ourselves having a lot of power or a lot of comfort, what can we do to pull back and support someone else um, in the room? So all of those community experiences have, have given me lots of, um, I, I try to let, I try to keep my channel open <laughs> so, so community wisdom can flow through me. Um, I, don't, I don't claim it to be my own necessarily. Yeah. And I think when a lot of what we see in our culture today is is we feel like we have to defend our position. Sure. And defend our team, our tribe. And so we become more defensive than than listening, you know, and and sort of I think a response even to sort of what you brought here could be like, Well, why why is she doing that? You know, mm-hmm. what what is what is she trying to get out of me? And and I think when we're just really open to to say, hey, I think I think we're just having an experience as human beings together that something good can happen out of that. Absolutely. That's interesting. Absolutely. Right. Cool. Well, you told me a little bit of your history and your story mm-hmm. um, when we were having dinner together the other night with the families. And and I just would love for you to whatever you feel like would be pertinent. I you know what what in what intrigued me is you personally, but then uh, you shared some of the pain of your experience mm-hmm. with with the Christian church and you grew mm-hmm. up in a in a household that had multiple religions in it. So I don't know, share what you think would be, would would feel good and be pertinent to share maybe to our audience here. Yeah, sure. Does it feel helpful for me to talk a little bit about terminology? At, sure, at, absolutely, at the top? absolutely. Um, yeah, so you asked me how I identify, right. and I identify as a cisgendered queer woman. Yeah. So the first part, cisgendered, it's spelled I mean, it's spelled C-I-S and mm-hmm. then gendered. So that refers to marking myself that I walk in the world with the privilege that my gender identity um, is in alignment with my birth sex, right? And because when we're born into the world, we're born into a body, but then we're also born into a world of cultural ideas of what is possible with that body. Okay. And so it's a way of marking myself um, as being not transgendered in a way that makes sure that I am not the norm. Like that's the that's the hope by marking myself as that. Okay, that let I, me ask a question about that. Sure. So uh, maybe in this again, I, we talked about before we came on that that we're going to try to work our way through this. And if I say anything stupid, it's okay to say that's not exactly where I would go with it. But so in essence, you're saying you were born with a what would be traditionally known as a female body. Yes. And inside you feel like a female. Is that is that what I'm hearing correctly? Yes, that I identify as okay. a woman. Yes, All yes. Right. And the 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 intent of marking myself through that language is to practice being an ally to transgender folks so they're not the only ones who are telling a story of their bodies and gender. Um, so that's why I try to incorporate that into my into my practice of, of self-identity. So if I would say I'm a, I'm a heterosexual male mm-hmm. with a male body and, and a male in spirit, what, how would you translate that into what you just said? Yeah, so you could, call, you could describe yourself as a cisgendered straight man. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, cisgendered is the term. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, does it mean something when we are open to hear that? Because again, some people be like, they'll roll their eyes and like, oh my God, you know, there's there's boys and there's girls and, and that's it. So I, I'm sure when somebody stops and says, okay, help me understand mm-hmm. and is willing to hear that, that that's meaningful to, to people in, the, in the, the queer community. 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, of course, can't speak to what it is like to be a trans person, but yeah. for me, it's it's my attempt to flag that I'm a safe person to okay. be around um, and that I'm going to do my absolute best to um, make sure that our spaces of living, of work, and play are all safe safe spaces for all bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of different ideas about gender and sex and bodies and, and how they map onto each other. And my question is always, I don't quite understand why someone's identity and their genuine expression of who they are in its wholeness and joyousness, well, if someone is expressing an identity that might not fall into some someone else's idea of the world, I'm not quite sure why the other person's expression of who they are has to necessarily challenge the other right. other views. Um, especially if we think about our our country that prides itself on on valuing freedom. I think the LGBTQ community is one of the most libera- liberated spaces of really seeking out ways where we can express and be in our bodies in wholeness, in love. Um, and so that's why I, I, I know we've got a lot of work to do in order to kind of collectively come to peace with that. Mm-hmm. But that's my hope because everybody should have the right to feel at home in their own body and and I believe that most people would believe in the statement everyone should be able to live a life free of violence mm. and so yeah. if someone's idea of what a boy and a girl is we have to re- recognize that that those limiting ideas can actually be violent in people's lives mm. explain more of that what does that mean violent in people's lives so now I'll just kind of shift and talk about my experience as a queer person because okay. I think that will be a little bit better than speaking from my own personal experience. Okay. Um, so for me, queer means that I um, love and I, I have dated and loved all kinds of bodies and people. Um, I'm current. I'm cur- not currently like as if I'm planning not to be. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm married to a woman, my wife Nicola, who's my joy. Um, and how long have you guys been married? We just got married this year in Congratulations. April. Congratulations! Thank all you, right. thank you, thank you. Um, so, so the question was about kind of the violence that ideas can do. I remember being in high school and starting to realize that I wasn't straight, that I was attracted to women and men and also people in between. And what age was that? Uh, around like 15, 16. Okay. And I distinctly remember feeling... Well, one, that it was impossible for me to marry a woman because this was in the early 2000s and and clearly same-sex marriage was not legal. And I also had the feeling that I got the message from many different sources that if I told people that I was queer, that that would be putting myself in danger. Mm. So that's what I mean, like these ideas... um, the ideas of gender and sexuality, if we embrace ideas of openness, that literally saves lives. Mm. There's a reason why, unfortunately, the suicide rate of LGBTQ teens is the highest of any demographic group. It's precisely because 
I think young people can't see a future that is full of life. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by ideas can be violent for folks. Yeah, and if you have a church that's saying God disapproves of who you are, yeah, that's that's got to be all the more difficult. Oh, it's so it's so heavy. It's yeah. so scary. Mm. It, it's so scary. You feel so. I remember feeling so alone, um, and feeling like, oh, I, I, this is what made our wedding part of it so powerful is that I was realizing a dream that I never thought would be real. Mm. That I could be loving and happy in this valley, in this world, and marry a woman who I love so much. Mm. And so that impossibility, getting to that, that reality is the burden of what it means to be queer in a world that doesn't automatically assume anybody can love anyone. Hmm. And that's 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 uh, one of my friends um, spoke at part of our wedding, and, and she talked about the labor of being queer in our world. And I was so grateful for her to mark that that us getting to that day, standing in front of all the people we love, was a journey full of of really really a fighting for mm-hmm. our right to yeah. be. And other people have fought that fight. For quite a while as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. This is this this is a whole. Community. Not to minimize yours at all. But oh no, but I absolutely want yeah. to acknowledge the the thousands and thousands of people who came before me in so many different communities and ways that fought for our right mm. to get to be be in love. Yeah, yeah, and and in some ways, I I, I sometimes struggle to understand, even as as my understanding of of how the church looks at this and. God looks at this uh, when when Prop Eight was first going. I think mm-hmm. in two thousand seven, I was just like, why why would we why would we ban it? That's mm-hmm. that's the thing I've I've struggled with always is, mm-hmm. is why would we stop anybody else from getting married and uh, yeah and so that's always been a struggle for me. I, I don't know why we feel that's so important. Um, I guess I guess the the question and I want to hear more of your story, but. So, you know, this sort of idea of God didn't make Adam and God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know. So somebody who says this is, you know, kind of a violation of the norms that God created. I don't know what your discussion sounds like if you ever have a discussion with people over that topic. But, you know, what does that feel like to you? And and what is your sort of response when you hear something like that? Yeah, well, I have a lot of different responses. So, um I grew up in going attending a Christian church, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely have a relationship, um, a past relationship with theolo- of Christian theology, and I also grew up in a, a multi-religious family. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, there, there were theological options always open. So in terms of kind of thinking through my youth, really attending. Um, a Christian church and and loving it and finding a cultural home for myself and going to youth group and church camp and lock-ins, which were just so full of so much silliness and joy. And um, I, as I, um, you know, in my teenage years, when I started kind of critically thinking about the Bible and thinking about things, um, 
I, I, my, my kind of response to that question of like, well, the Bible says, you know, da 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 da. Don't worry, is, I hit, it, I hit the mic from time to time as well, so don't sorry, worry about sorry, that. that. It's okay. I, I, I'm a hand talker just like me you. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, so my, my, my question to that is always, you know, there, there are portions of the Bible that have really, really sexist things written about the role of women in the world, and so I, I, I never i never thought that we that i would take every word in the bible literally and that it was written in a specific historic moment in a specific historic context and so i think that's part of the power of being alive is that we get to engage with documents ideas um community and we get to make meaning out Mm. of our lives I mean, why else are we alive and, yeah. and conscious beings than to make meaning? So I, I never, I never quite bought into the idea that the that any theology is frozen in stone, but rather it moves through people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I don't know from a Christian, from my kind of Christian youth, I, I never thought that there was really a conflict that. That I, I I I had the freedom to interpret um, interpret from the Bible as a document, like lessons and wisdom. And my overwhelming experience um, as a young child, like kind of pre queer consciousness, was that Christianity was about love. So when yeah. I when I hit teenage years, um, my spiritual belief wasn't incongruous. In, with who I was becoming, it was the structure of the church that was the most harmful mm. and scary. So I don't know. I hope, I hope that answers yeah, the question. That's interesting. And I, 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 I like I said, I'm, I'm still on this journey myself, mm-hmm. um, and and always ask my my friends for grace to be on that journey and think out. I, I'm a I'm a external processor, and so I think things out loud quite a bit, which is why podcasting is great. Perfect. For me. <laughs> <laughs> and but I even um, I, I think the Bible itself calls us to that that it, mm. it that Jesus ultimately said there are two commandments: love God love your neighbor and that's it those are the two commandments and then he defines your neighbor as the person you think least worthy Mm. of your attention and love and certainly of god's favor and Mm. and sort of ultimately says so your proof that you love god is how you treat Mm. the samaritan is what he pointed to ultimately and and uh, which was this outcast these outcast members of their culture and so again I'm, i'm telling people this doesn't take a big switch to start to think i just I want people to to find value and safety and happiness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a, a theological switch to see that Jesus would have sat with the people that the Christian church didn't think worth sitting with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so when we start to do that, and then as as then I've heard the stories of people in in the queer community, it, it makes me sort of angry at myself that mm-hmm. that when you what you call violence and. You know, I never thought of anything in that context, but second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, on the playground of that effeminate boy, we made his life a living hell. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I I feel like that's something I have to apologize for in life. And obviously, I 
I knew the context of the world as I knew it then and all I can change is now. But um, I think we have to start thinking about these things. What, Like you say, violence. And, and again, if we're saying God doesn't approve of you, of course it's going to lead people to do things that, that aren't in their best interest or the norm of their life. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And I don't know. It's hard to reckon with our pasts of, yeah. um, and reckon with... It's it's hard to bear witness to the deep pain and wounds of so many people. Yeah. So you went to a leader of your church, mm-hmm. and and revealed. I, I, tell me tell me more about that star. I remember you telling that story the other night. Share that. Yeah. So um, in high school, um, I I participated in our youth group, which was just this great great experience overall. But when I started realizing that my um, sexual identity was not in the the presumptive straight box, um, I I remember speaking with our, our youth leader, and in retrospect, I, I I now read his behavior as he just he wasn't prepared, um, and unfortunately, the message that I got was. You're gonna be okay, but just don't tell anyone. Huh. Which on you know on the spectrum of responses is is definitely there's other responses that are much more violent. Yeah. But that but that message it absolutely reinforced the idea that there was something shameful, hmm. like that I needed to hide. And so. Unfortunately, that was like the beginning of the way in which my home church failed me, ultimately. Hi, everybody. Let me take a break from the program to tell you about an exciting new project we have going on. It's called Old Pastor, New Conversations. Now, I'm the old pastor in that equation, and I want to have a conversation with millennials and Gen Zers about some of the topics that are a little bit difficult to discuss in evangelical circles today. Questions like, what was Jesus' view of the the religious right? And are there poetic verses in the Bible that are a little bit misinterpreted by our American thought process? And is abortion God's most important issue or a law to ban abortion? And what does the Bible really say about that? And civics and government and the environment and inequality and homosexuality. What does the Bible say about these things? Let's talk about it. Old pastor, new conversations. I want you to join in on the discussion. You can go to my website at npepodcast.com and hit the events button. and It'll tell you all about it and how you sign up to join us. We'll be joining with the Spark guys for our first meeting on February 13th to intro the whole thing. And then every two weeks, we'll meet after that and discuss a different topic and hear your thoughts and give you our thoughts from a generational perspective. My wife, Ashley, will join me. and We want you guys to join us too. Go to our website, npepodcast.com. Click on the events page. And hey, by the way, if you sign up, I will put your name in a drawing for a few $25 gift cards to Dutch Brothers. We really want you to join us and hang out and have discussions with an old pastor and some new conversations about the topics that have kept some millennials from being able to return to their faith. Hey, you don't have to believe the way your grandparents and your parents believed. God gives you permission to choose and pursue your faith and your relationship with him as you would work it out with him. And I want to give you permission to do that. So please join us, old pastor, new conversations at npepodcast.com. Now, back 
to the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Um, so I, I, I left for college, and then when I came back, I came back, I graduated in 2007, which is precisely right around Prop 8, mm-hmm. which was, of course, was the California um, uh, proposition to not allow right. to anyone to, to ban, yes, to ban anyone except for heterosexual marriage. Right. So I, being so naive, <laughs> came home to my home church and thought that with the power of storytelling and the power of sharing my own vulnerability that I might be able to make a difference and 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 invite people to vote no on prop 8 and and as I saw it vote yes for justice and love mm-hmm. so I came home and um there was a different minister head head minister at that time and I was invited by him to give a sermon and in that sermon I shared the most terrifying moment of homophobia that I've ever experienced, which unfortunately was here in Fresno. Mm. Um, And it was one of those moments where I, it was the middle of the day and I was just walking down the street and a truck pulled up next to me and yelled out really horrible language at me and I literally thought the men in the truck were going to stop and beat beat me. Hmm. And it, that really, it really shook me. It shook me. Um, so I, I shared that experience in my sermon because I wanted people to understand that this was not a game of politics or a game of... Uh, I don't know that this kind of liberal versus conservative, like, you know, tit for tat, like it it wasn't, it had nothing. This was about people's very right to exist in this world. Mm. My right to just be able to breathe and be. And so um, after I gave that sermon, um, there was a part of the congregation that was loving and wonderful. And then there was another part of the congregation which never claimed to be homophobic, but I do not think I can understand their actions as anything but. Mm. And so they objected to my sermon, both because I used the language um, that was hurled at me but but of course I wasn't using it as if I was endorsing that language. So you used some bad words. You, yeah, you I, I because I was okay. I was telling my truth of what mm-hmm. was said to me. Um, and then also this small group kind of uh, this is my experience, so I get to tell it hijacked the leadership <laughs> of the church and refused to sit down and talk with me. Mm. And both the ministerial and the lay leadership of the church protected their anonymity. And that really, really hurt me mm. because I, I knew that not everybody was going to, you know, run to me with open arms. But I felt exactly 
why I said yes to speaking with you, Paul, that we have to have conversations across difference. We have to as a collective. I also like as a queer person, like it's not up to queer people to do all the have all the conversations. Right. Um, But I've definitely um, chosen that there are some spaces where like today, yes, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to come forward and give my energy. So I was really, really hurt that whoever it was that was so upset with my sermon would not sit with me, Mm. would not would not acknowledge the humanity that we both breathe. So um, uh, there's lots of other things happened, but the short end of that story is I no longer felt at home at at that Mm. church. And so I left and I have only been back for funerals of people who I Mm. love dearly. Um, And it's, it's still a wound I carry. Hmm. Yeah, it's such a common story, too, mm. unfortunately. I wish it weren't so. What What would you, how would you characterize your, your spiritual life now mm. and your, your faith? What, how would you characterize that for you? Yeah, I, um, I have been drawn to practicing meditation and Buddhism. Okay. Um, which, has, which is one of the household religions yes, you grew up with. Yeah? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I'm very grateful to have this like incredibly um amazing ancestral connection um to buddhism i there there's a um, a buddhist uh, it's called a butsudan it's like an kind of like an altar um and i have inherited it that my great grandfather was a carpenter and he actually built this oh wow so i feel like every time i i get to interact with it i just i feel just so much love from an elder and ancestor that I never got to meet. So, um, yeah, but I also, um, I, I think as like a lot of millennials, like I don't, I'm, I'm not a member of a church and I, um, I, I'm very interested in spirituality and conversations, um, especially when it comes to justice work, mm. because sometimes it feels like w- we absolutely must have some type of higher power to get us through all of the journey that we have to get through to become a peaceful world. Um, Yeah. So I still, I still have a lot of, um, I I still have a lot of pain specifically Mm. with the Christian community just because of my, my, personal experience um but i also know that my experience by no means represents all christian experiences um and so i just have a lot of unfulfilled wishes a lot of unfulfilled Mm. wishes and the and the thing you know you you lose community and i'm reading a great book called beyond sunday by a writer some of our listeners will know named rachel held evans she passed away about a year ago it was a big loss to the world Mm. but she was talking about leaving a, a, a Christian church because for a lot of reasons that she was leaving. But the interesting line at the end of the chapter, because she, she had talked about what, what Christian community means and you babysit for each other and you go to barbecues together and you do all these things. And, and she talked about how when you're sick, they, they bring you casseroles. Mm. And, and so at the end of the chapter, as, as they were telling the pastor, they're leaving the church, they're like, now who's going to bring us casseroles? Yeah. And that's the losing that community is a is a big thing. 
Absolutely, absolutely. My 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 friend Bryn Saito, who's the, my collaborator on Yonsei Memory Project, she wrote this like beautiful question, which is, how do we learn to belong to one another? Yeah. How do we belong to one another? And when you when anyone loses a community, um, there's incredible loss, and it takes a while to heal to try to think of like how how do we how do we have the courage to create new community when there's so much loss? Mm. Yeah. I think you're spurring a lot of thoughts in in my head, but I I think the, you know, I think we all love certainty as human Mm. beings. I I think I see what I see a lot in the political world is we're all looking for really easy answers, simple answers to really difficult, nuanced questions. Yeah, right. The seven (laughs) steps to blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, what you're talking about in in gender identity, et cetera, is, is complicated. It, mm-hmm. it takes away our certainty a little bit of, mm. you know, we knew it was a man or there was one man and one woman and that was it. And so I think some of the reaction you see from the evangelical church is, is a fear of losing certainty mm. um, because it's, you know, it's a really easy answer. So I think there's some, some of that in it. And then, and then fear just of a very basic of like, well, what if, what if God doesn't like it? And then the law makes us, that's why, because what I heard a lot is, oh, they're going to make us do, perform gay weddings. That's what mm-hmm. I, you know, if, if we allow, if we don't have Prop 8 passed, they're eventually going to force the churches to do, uh, to perform gay, gay wedding ceremonies. And, and I think, so I think that's, that's worth speaking out in, into the conversation that there is some fear on the Christian side of, hey, we're going to lose our right to believe the way we want to believe. And, and so I guess maybe I would ask you that. Do you, do you feel like there is a need to change the fact that there are churches in the world that believe homosexuality is, is, a, is not God's best plan for humanity? Or how would you see that kind of from your, your perspective, if that's a fair question to ask? Oh, well, that's a very difficult question. Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, my, my first kind of impulse of thinking about Prop 8 and, and um, the laws I mean, America is a fundamentally pluralistic society. It always has been. It's not a theocracy. Right. And so I I find it hard to digest the idea that an individual or a community's theology would dictate the law. Right. So so that you know, there's a kind of fundamental assumption of the difference in that difference is not threatening in true pluralism, right? Mm-hmm. Like that Buddhists and, and Christians and Muslims and Sikh Americans and, and non-believers, like that there isn't an inherent threat between a group of people like that just living together. Right. So that's kind of like my first, my, my, it'll be my first question. Um, and, you know, there, there are ways, especially in like a community like ours in the Valley and in, in California that... If we pause, we I think most people would see how much joy is derived from living indifference. Mm. Living, not indifference as one word, in right. a community of difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I would be hard-pressed to believe that even the most conservative evangelical has never had food from another immigrant community. Right. I mean, I suppose it's always possible, but 
I mean, so like in a fundamental, like, I mean, I'm a farmer. I, I love thinking about food and the generous act of nourishing mm. another body. And um, so I, I, I would, that would be my, my attempt to assuage some fears is that w- there are a lot of ways in which we are already living together. Right. And I would hope we just want to get better at that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as, a far, as far as like from kind of like within a theology, I mean, it's just Im- impossible for me to believe that any person who is alive does not have the right to be on their own journey mm. and love and live freely. So what I believe and act out has an impact on on the others around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we can live in difference until we start to try to impose our own onto, onto others. Mm-hmm. I think we can probably acknowledge that there is some some judeo-christian roots to our our legal thought of don't murder and all those things but yeah i i I think i i I think i don't think the law is ever meant to sort of i I think america is all about not imposing Mm -hmm. theological rules on each other that's kind of the whole premise of what we came here for isn't it right (laughs) exactly so we could we should be able to work that out together i hope so and and yeah, I mean, this is the great, the great struggle of America, right? A country formed out of ideals on the one hand, and then slavery and colonization of indigenous people on the other. Yeah. And so, how do we sit with that, and how do we redress that? Right. And make that right. Well, I think that's really important, and I know the work you're doing, and we're going to talk about it on some other podcast down the line of of remembering the internment of, of Japanese-American citizens. And and really, I almost like to say it as we, we interned American citizens who happen to have Japanese ancestry because yes. I, I want people to realize we, we didn't put Japanese people in prison. We put American citizens in prison at a, at a signing of a paper by a president. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important to recognize what we can do to one another when we give in to fear. Mm-hmm. And... And so fear of, of somebody who looks at gender in a different way, who looks at, at religion in a different way, who looks at race in a different way. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. In my lifetime, I can remember when we, we would have said uh, interracial marriage is not oh, allowed by God. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my parents, when both of them were children, their future marriage was illegal. Wow. Illegal. My very existence as a child, a mixed race child, was illegal. Yeah. Um, so your your dad is Japanese. My dad's Japanese American. My yeah. my mom is German American, white yeah. woman, um, and that it's it, it's 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 quite mind boggling for yeah. me to think about. But unfortunately, that that that's our history, and and also that's still some of our present so much of our present is that fear driven dominance Mm -hmm. yeah i think it it, and so whether it's caging kids at the border or Mm -hmm. banning certain religions from coming into the country i think we get to do reasonable things to make sure we keep ourselves safe but when we give in to to fear to to what i call otherize people Mm -hmm. to make them a group of others um 
we we put ourselves in position to do something like interning American citizens and that we look back upon in history and say, wow, that was, how did we ever get there? Right. So I think it's important to, to really think these things through. And, and I love what you, I love what you said. And I think that's some about how to look at, how to look at the Bible. Cause I do ultimately think God built that, that scripture is ultimately built to say, let's, let's wrestle it through together. Mm-hmm. If, if the command is love God and love each other, then I think he's saying, okay, in, in sort of prayerful contemplation, think about uh, discerning what is being said and what that, how that applies to your life today, and then wrestle with it with each other, mm-hmm. which is what I love what we're doing here. Is, and, and when the Bible could say, David could have more than one wife, and that was okay, then was there a cultural context that, that uh, if we believe in a personal God, that that personal God could say, I can deal with that. I can deal with that in the context of your culture. And are there things in our culture today that God can say, I can deal with that. And thus, we have to be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Was well, there anything else you want to tell us about your journey and life? Any other questions you want to ask me or anything else we need to know from each sure. other? Sure. I have, I have lots of questions. You so do? You just cut me off when it's... Oh, did I really? I'm sorry. No, 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 okay. no, no. You, you, um, I'm inviting you to stop me <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I'm asking too many questions. All right, sure. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, so I'm just so curious from you, Paul. What have you, what have you learned from conversations and listening to folks from the LGBTQ community, um, either as a person and or as a pastor? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Went to an event recently. This this was one thing that really stood out to me. Um, and it was an event a local church put on called Faithfully Queer. Mm. And it was hearing some of the stories of, of people who would I- identify um, as queer. And I, queer is a word that I'm still struggling to learn to use a little bit because I, I always knew that as sort of a pejorative in the past. But I understand that the community is now kind of pulling it back and redeeming it. And so I love that. Um and and so I went to this event, and as they gave me a name badge, they asked me to put my pronouns on there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like being, you know, I'm like, um, what does that mean? <laughs> Sometimes it's like a, a language trick, like, wait, what are pronouns, yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. I'm like, does that mean like happy? No, that's an adjective, I think. <laughs> um, and so it was he, him, his, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I, I wrote it on, I wrote Paul, and I wrote he, him, his, mm-hmm. and so a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a long time came up and he looked at my name badge and he said, okay, first off, that you're here at this event means everything to mm. me. And that you would write your pronouns and oh, it makes me a little bit emotional right now. That that meant so much to him. Mm. That meant, and, and it's, you know, it would cost me nothing. But to him, it was it was validating and accepting of, of who he was as a person. So I think one of the things I've learned is like, why wouldn't I want to lean into this? Mm-hmm. If if from my position as as an evangelical leader that started a church and, you know, whatever role I have today, um, that it means that much to people, why wouldn't I want to lean into that? So I think that's one of the big things I've learned is like this really matters. Um to the LGBTQ community, and I wrote I wrote my novel, and my and it was based on an the, the first chapter was based on a on an, a, a real moment in Fresno where there was a, a defensive marriage rally, and 
And I remember seeing this cutaway on the news of this police tape. And, and they said, and there were protesters from the LGBTQ community or whatever the terminology was at those times in 2007. And it showed them the shot of them behind the, the um, police tape, which for one, just using the police tape, I thought was almost like we're, we're legislating who belongs and who doesn't belong. Even the, the symbolism of that was wild to me. But I just remember having a sense in my spirit of sort of my relationship with, with God. As I know, I, I just had a sense of God saying to me, if I were, if I were there, where would I be? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Jesus was on earth at that moment, would he, where would he be at that rally? And I was just so sure that what, what was being apparent to me is that, that the Jesus I read about in the Bible, if he were on earth today, he would be behind that that tape mm. with that group of people, the the marginalized and the left out and those that are told, okay, you stand over here. You're not welcome on the dais of the event. And so if that's where Jesus would be, then, then isn't that where I'm supposed to be as a Christian, somebody that says, I'm a follower of Christ. Um, so I'm learning to, to what, what it means to be standing on the other side of the tape a little bit and start to, to figure out what that, what that feels like and means to me. So I guess that's been some of my experience so far. Mm. And that the LGBTQ people I'm meeting are just human beings. And and the sort of overarching gay agenda that that some in the Christian community fear. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll tell you, to, to make a long story longer, I found out that there's even divides in the into the in the gay community in Fresno and maybe some of it is somewhat generational and and so it's like oh good well they have their disputes in their own belief system sometimes and so it just makes everything more human and i think when you recognize people as human beings it becomes a lot harder to be afraid of them mm. and a lot harder to uh disapprove mm-hmm. so i guess that's what i'm learning amazing <laughs> I don't know where all that takes me mm. and honestly makes me a little bit afraid mm. of like, what are my people going to say about me? Mm. What does that mean to our livelihoods? What does that mean to being accepted in, in our own community of evangelicals? Um, so that's probably me being transparent. And I think mm. in some ways I have been afraid of, of really exploring what, you know, how, how does God look at, this versus what I read in, in the Bible and how do I sort of equalize all that out? I think I've been a little bit afraid to publicly talk about it at least. And so I'm really excited and a little bit afraid to mm-hmm. be having those conversations out loud. Well, thank you for leaning into that fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, have you encountered the term ally? In, in I have just yeah, a little bit now. Yeah. yeah. It seems like to me you're describing like the beginning. I hope I am. Feelings of showing up for another community. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. What What does an ally mean to you? Yeah. the The term has been used to describe folks who may not be LGBTQ identifying themselves, but who um, want to stand with the LGBTQ community in our um, movements and and work to have full rights yeah, um, yeah. to live fully, work fully, play fully, love fully. <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, so th there's I, I have found that term useful in some contexts and then also not useful in some other contexts. Okay. Yeah, um, but I, I most most often find it more more useful than not. And so I appreciate um, I think what you're with what, what I just want to validate what you're describing as your own experience and and feeling that fear. Um, that means that you are putting something on the line. And it's it kind of mirrors. Um, it's in a similar spirit, I think, to the fear that a lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us, including myself, still carry um, the fear of being in situations where you don't know if someone is homophobic or not. And so you have to make a choice of withholding information about yourself for mm -hmm. fear of... Um, some violent consequence or um, being open and, and courageous. And there's never just a single answer because the, the fear is real and, yeah. and sometimes the loss is real. Um, so I just want to acknowledge and say, I hear you, Paul, and yeah. I see the work that you're doing and, and how you're showing up for it. Well, more often than not in history, when people did the right thing, it cost them. Mm. And I think I've asked myself a lot, I, reading Letter from Birmingham Jail by, mm. by MLK, you know, where would I have been in that season? If, if I were an adult white male yeah. in, the, in the 60s, would I have been willing to walk across the bridge at Selma? Uh, or would I have been one of the moderates that said, hey, let's wait till the right time? Or, mm -hmm. or you know, let's just keep the peace and, and maintaining the peace be more right. So generally when people do the right thing, it does cost them. And, and for us to think that we can live life without giving something of value to see change occur is probably pretty naive and mm -hmm, silly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think for our household as a whole, we're, we're making that determination of like, if it cost us, it cost us as long as, and you know, we're not going to be foolish and just pick stupid hills to die on. But if this is the hill we're to die on, we'll die on it. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I, again, I think probably our sacrifice is minor compared to what others have been through and felt, but, but for it's sure. real for us. For so, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, do you have another question? I well, um, those are the ones on the yeah, top top good. of my mind. Let me look at how much time we're we are going to have to wrap it up. Yeah. Here, so here's a question that's probably, um, and it almost seems out of order in the context of everything we've done. But do so is it inborn? I guess is the question a lot of people ask. You you say you became aware of of your sort of identification at 15. Mm -hmm. So was that just, it's something that you sort of knew was there and then you came into a recognition of or kind of, is that a fair question for me to ask? I certainly don't want to offend your heart. And No, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad yeah. you asked that question. Because um, I think that's ultimately the question of, is it a choice or is it something that you're born with? That's a, a question a lot of people want to ask. Yeah. So I, for me, I don't find that question to be super useful. Okay. Um, because there's ways in which whatever the answers to that question has, and I'm sure will continue to be used as weaponized. Yeah. And I absolutely honor folks in the LGBTQ community who have specific um, experiences with that question. And I'm like, absolutely, everybody should be able to define their own narrative about their own life. But for me, um, for me, that question is less helpful okay. because it kind of reduces 
collective ideas about gender, sex, and sexuality onto an individual person. And instead, I find it more useful to think about we're all born into these webs of meaning. And some of the webs, you know, pull and punish and exclude. And others are generous and loving and compassionate. And so um, for me, my wish is that everyone, and particularly particularly folks who are cisgendered, straight folk, maybe evangelical Christians, would see that I, as a queer person, I'm offering a gift. And that gift is that you can love however and whomever you want. And that, for me, is is more a more satisfying um, approach as opposed uh. to like asking myself the origin of my queerness. <laughs> I'm thinking about the dream of the future. Mm. Ah, cool answer. Well, thank you for letting me ask that question. You're welcome. I think I would finish with this. And I, I do this... I start to say often, not necessarily often, but I, I think if if I could sit as a representative of the church, mm-hmm. and I, and I know this isn't going to be like a heal your wounds moment in a in a flash, but just say I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that Thank that was your experience with the church, and in some ways I can say we we know not what we do, as Jesus would quote on the cross. But yeah, I'm just really sorry that happened to you. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I, I feel the empathy coming from you. Very cool. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for sitting and having this conversation. It was a de- delight. I it hope was. it's very, um, I hope it's nourishing yeah. for people who hear this. Oh, that's good. All right. This is uh, Nikiko Masumoto, our f- organic farmer, artist, cultural organizer, and just spiritually cool person. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for being with us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Paul.